All right, welcome back to another episode of INE Live. My name is Mike Pfeiffer, super excited to have you here today. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about hybrid cloud and multi-cloud. Seems like everybody's talking about multi-cloud these days. I'm here with, uh, I'm joined by Baruch Seahorn, who's an instructor on the cloud team here at INE. And we're gonna have an awesome conversation. So just to remind everybody, uh, we're live streaming across all social media platforms. Go ahead and get your questions ready. And as usual, if you can prefix those with a queue so we can grab them and feel free to ask, you know, technical questions as much as you want. We're going to break things down in this episode. And I'd like to bring Brooke Seahorn up uh, on the screen here and, and have him kind of introduce himself. It's been a while since you've been on the show, Brooks. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, this is a cool conversation to have about multi-cloud because it's been of recent going in a lot of different directions with the cloud providers, some of them absolutely buying into it and others saying, eh. No, thank you. So I think as we go through this subject, we can hopefully for our audience really illuminate some of those areas and point out some of the things from our past, you know, us both being uh, previous AWS employees, my history of working with the DOD cloud and things like that, but bring some really uh, interesting points on where this may be going. Yeah, absolutely. That is a fun point. And we talk about that a lot uh, on our team. Both of us have uh, been at AWS in the past, insanely interesting. Um, so that that's definitely going to be some perspective that I'll share as well. Uh, it's very cool. So thanks for being here, Brooks. Yeah, um, yeah, glad to be here. Do. Yeah, awesome. So <clears throat> maybe we could break it down. You know, we've got a lot of people that are learning cloud for the new for the first time. Um, hybrid is kind of right. might be a confusing concept. There's all this terminology like public, private, hybrid, multi cloud. Right. right. Like let's break it down there before we dive deep into the yeah. weeds of multi-cloud. Yeah, let's do that. First of all, uh, hybrid, I think, is anytime we're talking about a situation where you've got on-prem resources talking to things in the cloud. That's sort of what's be become like the standard definition, where, for example, you may be using some compute up in the cloud to run something, but your data stores on site. And the main places I've seen those, Mike, have been where we've had situations where there's been either a regulatory or there's been some sort of compliance about uh, latency where they just couldn't have it in both places at the same time. And the cloud providers do some interesting things. For example, uh, Azure Stack, AWS uh, Outpost, where you can actually kind of bring a little chunk of the cloud right on to where you are. I think with that one, the one, and I don't know if you've got one that you can mention as a hybrid, but one of my favorites, and I can't name the cruise line, but there's a cruise line out there and they had the problem of how do we really, really give our, uh, uh, I can't remember the words they used. I think they used the word guests to refer to everyone. Our guests, the best experience in terms of security when they're on the ship. And I believe it's ship. When I was there, I think I said boat. And they made me get up and walk around the building once because it's a no-no. You cannot refer to it as a boat. If I'm saying that backwards, everybody, just sorry. But anyway, they would lose contact with the cloud from time to time as they're out in the ocean somewhere. And so they needed to have those resources on prem or on ship to make that happen. And that's a great example of uh, you know what hybrid is. What do you think on that, Mike? Do you have anything kind of fits in that same vein in terms that you've seen in terms of hybrid implementation? Yeah, I love that. That's an awesome example. <clears throat> you know, one of the places where I was getting pulled into hybrid conversations it goes way back to, I guess, 2010. I was doing a lot of enterprise messaging, like Active Directory and Exchange oh, yeah. back mm -hmm. in the you know, when everybody was doing VMs and nobody was really talking about cloud. But in that mm -hmm. era, like 
Microsoft started pushing everybody into Office 365, right? And uh, that's when I started to like take notice of AWS um, because Amazon had already started, right? Like 2006, 2007-ish. And and so when Microsoft was like, hey, we're pushing the email into O365, but we want all you guys to to move into this hybrid model, that was the first time it was on my radar. So it was like the email was up there in the cloud um, and then everything else was on-prem, right? So that was the, right. my first foray into it. And now it's everything. It's not just email. It's like people are doing hybrid and are, you know, got all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff on-prem and a mirror of that maybe in the cloud or, or mm-hmm. vice versa. Like really, you know, kind of interesting. Um, and, you know, same thing with like virtualization platforms. We hear a lot about VMware. Right. Um, Right. And so, you know, to me, some of the stuff that they're doing in the hybrid space has always been interesting. Um, And and that's something that's been the AWS has supported as well. But yeah, that's kind of like when I first got into it. And I'm sure there's lots of stories. So many enterprises are in hybrid model and probably going to be that Mm -hmm. way for a while. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there was a there was a customer I'd worked with uh, a while back and they were basically uh, doing uh, monitoring for industrial equipment. And what they would have is they would have these monitors that you could place on your big industrial equipment and they would look at things like heat vibration they would pull in that data and but they wanted the machine models on prem they didn't want it up in the cloud so they may build the model up in the cloud but then it was brought on site because there were times that they would again lose contact with the cloud because it was a remote location in which case you've got to have that on site and that's where hybrid really makes sense where you could lose contact with the cloud you have a latency issue, or you just have a regulatory issue. Um, it was interesting you mentioned uh, mentioned Office 365 because, and I, I don't know, Mike, you may have to correct me on this. I'm going to jump up on a soapbox, everybody, so just go with me for a second. I do not believe when we say multi-cloud, we mean things like, okay, I've got everything sitting in AWS, but I've got a subscription to Office 365, It's or I'm using Salesforce. It's like, I, I don't think that's multi-cloud. That's just right. business as usual is all you're doing. It's really when you see folks like they're actually, they have a real workload in AWS, a real work uh, workload in Azure, something like that. We, and we're going to dive into the weeds heavy on the show. We'll get to it in a moment because you may have already thinking it's not that simple. And you're right. It's not. There's more to it than just throwing a workload out there. But uh, that's always been kind of my definition for that sort of thing, Mike. And I've noticed as an industry, we're kind of moving in that direction and definitely throwing out this idea of if you're consuming some service that's running on cloud, you're not necessarily multi-cloud. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen out there, sometimes they'll, so some people will categorize multiple clouds being on-prem hybrid and public because, mm-hmm. you know, you can do private cloud, right? And oh, I just I had am. a conversation earlier with somebody this week that had never heard that term. And we're like, well, what is a private cloud? And it's just, right. you know, like running VMs on-prem, right? So technically, exactly. I guess you could call that multi-cloud, but that's actually hybrid in my mind. And to your point, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. about multi-cloud. It's really that situation where, you know, we're we're in primarily over in AWS and now like something's over in Azure and mm-hmm. we got to figure that out too. And that brings up a question that I wanted to ask you, which is, yeah. and I've seen this, I'm wondering if you've seen this too. It's like, I think when you see multi-cloud as a term, a lot of people are, they default to thinking, oh, like I'm trying to spread this workload highly available across multiple clouds. True, that could be one way, but I think really what I've seen multi-cloud so far mm-hmm. has been people like getting, you know, just kind of like organically walking into it. Another team yep. is doing AWS and mm-hmm. we're doing Azure. 
it just kind of happens that way. Is that like something you've seen? That's quite a bit of what I've seen. Um, I, I think the one that really got me interested was uh, it was uh, a customer, I believe, in Arizona. And I, there was like three or four groups all in there that I was speaking to at the same time. And one of them just kind of organically said, speaking of organically, just kind of brought up, hey, we're doing that right now in GCP. And literally like, and this was somebody in the back of the room. So like you see everybody just kind of do like that and turn around like, what are you talking about? They said, yeah, we've been in GCP since we got here. What it was is the uh, this particular organization had bought a very small AIML shop, had brought them in. They had been using GCP. So they basically organically just brought GCP right into the organization. So to me, it just seems like it's almost like, and I hate to use the term best of breed. I've never liked that term, but it almost like is a best of, a best of breed situation where, hey, we can really do well using like Lambda and AWS. Uh, we're using Active Directory for authentication because that's what we've done forever. But at the end of the day, our data scientists are extracting this stuff out to GCP. And I think in those situations, any organization that wants to throw up the multi-cloud uh, flag is absolutely in the right place to do it. But at the same time, I'm very sort of cautious of the CIOs that start saying, we're multi-cloud. It's like, what are you doing? We've got office. Th okay, stop right there. Stop, 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 stop. Back it up. No, it's really understanding, you know, these different clouds. But, you know, and as we go in the conversation, you know, there's a lot of what I call common denominator problems that do exist in multi-cloud that we could also discuss. Yeah, <clears throat> totally agree. Yeah, like um, there's pros and cons, right, to the whole conversation, mm -hmm. which um, that kind of takes me to a point that I wanted to bring up with you, speaking of the whole AWS thing, right, between the yeah. two of us. Um, you know, I, there was some, you know, some outages at the end of the last year with AWS. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the holidays. There's a lot of pressure. Amazon's grown a lot since both of us yes. have worked there, obviously. Yes. Um, and, and I saw an article go by a little bit after some of those incidents where, um, you know, people are talking about, hey, you know, you could do multi-cloud to, you know, kind of hedge these issues by, you know, being pinned on one vendor. And that's a fair mm -hmm. conversation, but there was an article that came out. Um, I think it, I don't know if it was from AWS. I don't think it was, but it was mm -hmm. basically saying, hey, you know, if you architect things the way that AWS tells you to from a DR disaster recovery perspective, right? right. you shouldn't necessarily need multi-clouds to close the gap on being stuck with one vendor. Could you explain what they were talking about a little bit in that piece? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the 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 composition of the geography, if you want to think of it that way, of AWS is obviously there's the data centers that we really don't talk about, but we talk about like availability zones that are a part of our VPC, and now we break it into regions as well. The idea of the data center, oh, pardon me, the availability zones is this: if you've got your workload spread across two different AZs there should be some geographic distance between those two, some little bit of distance. And that's the idea of, you know, if there's a fault line, for example, AWS will literally take that into consideration. They'll look at the geography of the place and make sure if something happens here, it shouldn't happen there. And if you build across those AZs, yeah, you're kind of getting a little bit of fault tolerance. Now, I know, and I'm, I'm not, don't think I'm picking up my pom-poms and doing my AWS rah-rah, everybody. I'm not doing that, it's just, it's the fact. If you go back, if I go back in my career, let's just say 10, 15 years, the idea of being able to easily do that is a, it was hard. Like I just couldn't easily, this time I was with the DOD, two different DISA locations, for example, or two different, you know, placement locations. That was hard to do. I can do it in AWS like that now. And then I can spread it to the point of saying, okay, fine. If I want to take the next step, I can now break my workload across regions. 
and then use something like DNS. Like Route 53 is very good for this. You could tell Route 53, look, send half of my DNS requests to Ohio, send the other half over to Oregon. And if you ever see this go to, you know, not responding, then send everything over here 100%. And yes, you can do that. But here's the thing. Nothing's free, y'all. Nothing is free. You've got to pay for it somehow. So you are adding a little more complexity to your rollout. It's going to be a little more difficult to work with. You've got to think as an architect a lot more. You just can't slam stuff out there. You've got to think big picture. You know, I, I don't know about you, uh, Mike, but I've always thought of architecture as some people say it's, you know, it's the art of finding, you know, the lesser of things, trying to find that perfect compromise. I always said it's the person who's most likely to get yelled at for mistakes because it's going to be on the architect. The developers are like, here's the requirements. I know this thing can do this. Now you go do all the things that are going to support my requirements. So That's it's true. a tough thing to get right and a tough thing to do. But I think in, it, they do have a place they can make that argument to people to say, hey, if you spread it across, you can get a much higher level of disaster recovery. Now, when we start talking about multiple cloud vendors, here's the thing. If there is an outage like we saw last, you know, last month or a month ago or so in AWS, being able to go between different cloud providers, doing a route, a weighted routed DNS type thing across there, that's very doable. But here's the thing. How are you going to pay for that? Because you're going to pay for it. And I'm not necessarily talking about money. I'm talking about complexity. So that's one of the things that you've got to do when you're thinking about going multi-cloud. It's like you've got to find that balance because at the same time, particularly if you realize that you have a really, really in-depth deep down architecture in AWS where you're using like Lambda to talk to SNS, SES, not, I'm sorry, SNS, talking to EventBridge, you're doing all sorts of things like that. That could be a hard thing to extract out and then put over into a different cloud provider. Even if you're using something like Terraform that gives you some sort of agnostic capability, those templates are going to have to be different. And if you can do that, that's great. But the way you're going to do that is by finding people that understand more than one cloud and don't have a problem. They say, oh, yeah, I know AWS. I know Azure. I know GCP. I know how to set that up. And that's why, uh, you know, here at INE, it's one of the reasons why I'm excited to be here is we're starting to move in that direction very, very consciously to say, how can we give people that capability? Because, you know, I, I don't know about you, Mike. Maybe you can tell me. I've always been very leery as a business person saying we've only got one source for something. That scares me a little bit. It's like, wait a minute. I don't care how reliable they are. That sounds like I've just painted myself into a corner. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point because as architects, ultimately our job is to eliminate single points of failure, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of the big idea. Um, and so one of the things I heard there that I think is key is complexity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because just to your point, I remember back in the old days when we were doing physical infrastructure and if somebody wanted to do a, you know, kind of a, a warm standby site or active yeah. passive mm -hmm. or West coast, East coast kind of thing yeah. in the physical world, man, it was just like millions of dollars of investment, you know, months or maybe years of work in the field. And, uh, and even then, like once you got it all going, the complexity could kill you. Right. So <laughs> that's what I wanted to take this uh, to next, which is like, People need to have the operational maturity at a team level to pull some of these things off, right? So I think what I'm hearing in this conversation so far is kind of like there's the business perspective of are we using multi-cloud for, you know, kind of trying to do this highly available thing or are we just doing multi-cloud 
to compose an architecture with the right services. And some of those might come from different platforms. So there's the business aspect. And then there's the individual, which you touched on as well, which, mm -hmm. you know, you're, that's a different mindset, right? Of building your multi-cloud skills to be able to contribute to IT teams today. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and, and it, it's funny you mentioned that because literally as you were talking just then, I heard the echoes of we're going to be cloud first. I'm like, that's not a strategy. That's a neat end goal, but that's not a strategy. And so, you know, when you go to the cloud, you have to be very purposeful. You got to know what's going on. And when you get more and more into organizations that are going to, again, organically have multiple cloud providers working workloads, you've got to have uh, members on your team that understand this. And this is not just from an architectural, this is also security. This is also your operations desk, for example. Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a big push right now between some of the cloud providers to come up with sort of, I guess, what they want to call like their one view on monitoring, which is I think is when they're, they're starting to move this idea of open telemetry where it doesn't matter what cloud provider, as long as they conform to the open, open telemetry tool, uh, rules, you can have tools that can bring that in and look at it. And that's fine. That's a great idea. And to that fact, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, it, it didn't make as much noise as it should have, Mike. Like it was like this explosion that happened underground and nobody paid attention to it. But uh, Microsoft came out just in December with some updates to Cloud Defender. And one of those updates was you can now do compliance uh, checks on your AWS resources, which was kind of like, whoa, whoa, hold on there, sport. Are you serious? And sure enough, if you look in the Azure portal, that's exactly what you can do. So when you have a person sitting there, for example, you know, we're talking about the actual person and what they know. They've suddenly actually got, whether they like it or not, a multi-cloud tool in this Microsoft uh, uh, Defender, but they still need to understand AWS. Um, there's going to be implementation details over there on that side that you need to understand, even though you're working predominantly in Azure. And um, I, I guess on that whole thing, that whole thing, you know, it comes down to that whole maturity thing, uh, Mike, the operational maturity. That is, in comes the ticket to the desk. Does the desk have the knowledge of going, hmm, that's AWS, that's Azure, that's somewhere in between, and having the knowledge to be able to really be effective in that particular space? Yeah, very true. And the reason I asked that too, or one of the reasons is um, when I was working with customers, even just as early as three years ago, these conversations about multi-cloud would come up and usually it would come up in a situation where the operational maturity wasn't even there for one cloud, right? And so right. I used to tell people, you need to get good at one before you start thinking about two, <laughs> yeah. right? So I would talk about all the time. And, um, and I kind of feel like that's similar maybe for somebody learning, maybe, right? I don't know. Um, I, we've talked in the past about kind of having an anchor, like being really strong in one. And then once you have that, the second one gets easier to learn. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. from an individual practitioner's perspective um, you know, cause the common question is like, which one do I pick? You know, is right. it AWS or those kinds of things? Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more, man. I mean, like if you're going to, if you're, if you do, if you have no cloud skills and let's say like you want to specialize in security or something like that, pick one and get good at it because a lot of the same concepts are going to carry over. It's just going to be a different service name. It's going to have a few different tweaks into it. Um, so yeah, you get good at one, you really build up that maturity. And then, and, and this is the kind of the, the thing for me, Mike, when you start getting into complexity, when it starts getting complicated, having that broad knowledge is gonna pay off 
like you wouldn't believe in being able to say, particularly in a complex, chaotic situation, no, 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 this isn't that complicated. It's really simple. It's a one, two, three, X, Y, Z problem. This is what we need to do to be able to solve this particular problem. So I, I really think that for anyone who's interested in the space, do that. Pick a cloud provider, AWS, Azure, GCP, whatever the case may be. Get good with it, like really feel comfortable with it. But then stretch out, because I'm going to warn you, this is something I've seen a lot, Mike, and I almost want to zip my mouth and not say anything about it. If you don't do that, you will become almost tied to a particular provider. Like you'll just go Azure, Azure. Azure for like Azure will become the solution to everything. It's like having somebody working on a car with you and their solution is the first thing that they do is grab the hammer. It's like, hold on. I don't think that might, that might not be the right tool. Let's step back for a second. So yeah, I agree, man. I mean, has, what's your experience been in terms of um, maturity and the ability to handle complexity as a function of sort of how many cloud providers do you have at least a proficiency with? Yeah, it's so interesting that question because I would teach like live classes several years ago, you know, 20, mm -hmm. 25 people in the room and you'd have mostly, you know, the most of the room would be very, very green because it was so early. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but every once in a while I would get somebody from a huge enterprise, like a, I remember one time I had a national insurance company or a guy from a national insurance company and he was sitting yeah. in the last row, you know, but he was <laughs> like, he knew a ton of stuff. Like he was just kind of like, always oh. You can always spot a man. It's that, right. that one guy, that one woman you look at and you go, mm, mm, mm. Yep. let me be careful but, here. Uh, they may know something. Yeah. <laughs> so every once in a while I get somebody like that and they'd be like, you know, explaining to me how they're doing all these advanced things. And mm -hmm. you know, generally it's always a larger enterprise, right? They're bigger. Um, right. They got more, um, they got more bodies, right? To throw at things, mm -hmm. they got more, uh, more expertise on the team where they can mentor other people. And, right. and so and I've worked as a sysadmin at places with three, 400 users, right? And that's a mm -hmm. very different story from a, an IT operations maturity perspective versus a national insurance company with 500 people in the IT organization just by itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I think, exactly. size, I think size of company, um, you know, can sometimes uh, be a factor, but I think as time goes on, what we're going to see happening, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts is that people will become more proficient even at the lower level, right? And even at the small company level, they're going to come become proficient with cloud because the ecosystem, at least that's what I think, the ecosystem is mm -hmm. going to support cloud more than anything else, probably in the long term. Absolutely. You know, it's it was always said that eventually we would get to a place where cloud was default. It wasn't even cloud first. It's like, oh, we're going to start a project. The next question is, well, where, we, where do we want to deploy this? Do we want to use AWS, Azure, GCP, whatever? And so I think even at the most fundamental levels, it's going to be a big, big requirement because you just don't know where you may be going next in the cloud or who may be the next big player or what may be the next big technology that you're going to be using inside the cloud. So having that strong fundamental skill in more than one provider, I, I think for anybody who has that, if you're at a job interview, you're going to be the one who could really say so, because it could be the most offhand comment. And I think that's one of the things that got me, Mike, about these offhand comments I've seen when I was interviewing people. And I would say, how would you do this in AWS? Da, 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 da. And they would answer and they say, oh, by the way, there's a really cool way to do this in GCP. And you go, oh, OK, that's kind of cool to know that there's that other capability because, you know, it's it's tantamount, Mike. I don't know if you remember this commercial and I don't even remember who it was for, but there's like this 
big boardroom and there's people sitting all around the table and there's the CEO. He comes marching and he sits down. Okay. He goes, okay, what's the problem today? Do we have a database problem? Do we have a networking problem? And this one sort of youngish guy goes, uh, it's, it's about, and he holds up in his hands, a shirt. He goes, it's about the new shirt, sir. We make shirts. You know, it was that whole thing about, they got so obsessed with the IT department, they forgot what they were really doing. And so I think it's incumbent upon folks like us that are in this space to be good enough to allow them to do what they do that makes the company great, do that product. And we've got the skills across the board so it doesn't you know, bubble up and become a problem. That said, that is not an excuse for CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, middle managers all the way down, not to be cloud versant. That just, that's not an excuse. You should be able to talk cloud a little bit, but at the same time, being multi-cloud is gonna be a big deal coming up at any level in the IT organization. I would say <clears throat> within the next two to three years, easily will be a big deal. Yeah, I agree. It's already getting lots of brand recognition out there. I'm just seeing it so much being talked about. Right. Um, one of the things I'd like to, to talk about as well, I mean, obviously there's tons of benefits, but there's also some cons, right? So let's talk mm -hmm. about that in a little bit. But first, um, I wanted to let everybody else out there know we're ready to answer your technical questions. So throw them into the chat, whether you're you know, on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, doesn't matter. We'll bring up your questions and answer them. I'm going to go to Jason's question. Jason had a question, and this will help us uh, kind of answer some of these questions a little better and frame okay. up this idea a little bit better. Jason says, if I understand you, consuming a service from the cloud and running a workload in the cloud is the difference in cloud versus multi-cloud. Hmm. And uh, so we bring that back up just to kind of yeah. make sure we can get Jason some clarity here. So he's saying, consuming a service from the cloud and running a workload in the cloud is the difference cloud and multi-cloud? I see where Jason's going with this. Great question, Jason. By the way, never tell anybody they've had a great question, but that's a great question. Because look at what he's saying right there. Running a, okay, you know, consuming a service in the cloud. That's that's exactly it, Jason. That, that you've hit it right on the head. Because in a lot of times, you don't even know you're consuming a service from the cloud. All we have is this front end that we're using. It'd even be an API at a programming level. But typically it's something like Salesforce, Office 365, whatever the case is. Yes, technically it's running in the cloud, but I don't think that we get the, I don't want to say the, uh, the, the privilege or the right to say we're multi-cloud just because of that. It's, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. So yeah, that's a really good way to do it, uh, to understand it, Jason. And I think you're right. I, for me personally, that is a big difference. That absolutely is the difference between, you know, I, we are multi-cloud, we are different clouds versus, oh, I'm consuming this thing over here that just happens to be hosted in the cloud. And therefore I want to raise the multi-cloud flag. And I just, I don't think it holds water. But again, I am a IMO, IMHO, okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the industry is still inventing this concept too, right? So yeah. <clears throat> there's a lot of definitions from different people and but let's go back to the cons and we'll bring up some more questions here in just a second. So, okay. um, you know, to me, one of the, I talked about one that I felt passionately about, which is operational maturity. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think mm -hmm. that it's going to be a lot more difficult if you're not doing cloud native uh, implementation. And that's probably something yeah. we need to unpack as well, right? Because yeah. if I'm doing VM architecture from 2010, <clears throat> I'm going to struggle <laughs> a lot more than I'm doing Kubernetes in multi-cloud, right? That's right. And it's almost like, uh, a good friend of mine, Steve, likes to say, uh, don't build your data center in the cloud. It's like, right, don't rebuild your data center in the cloud. You need to be 
you know, sort of more cloud centric. So yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. Um, on that question, can you kind of ex explain that a little bit more, Mike, because there's something you're saying there. I want everybody to hear very clearly. Yeah. So let's go back to, um, where we're at. Was that a question that I took from the audience? Uh, no, it's just something you threw out the idea of, I think it was about the complexity, you know, in dealing with oh, it right. and stuff like that, you know, because to me, that is it. That is absolutely it. It's like, everybody just wants to say complexity and let it go. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't quite get it. When we're talking about complexity in particular, understand that you may necessarily accidentally truncate your ability in the cloud when you go multi-cloud. This is in this con conversation that Mike and I, are, I and I are having when you go multi-cloud, because if I'm just AWS, I can really dive into the services that are available and really do a remarkable things. However, if I want to be able to put that workload in both of them, I have to find a common denominator. I can't go full in on both sides. They may have similar services. In most cases, they do. But I can't go like really in. And and I'm not going to knock AWS here. I love AWS. I think they're awesome. But you will hear that sort of conversation as the anti-multi-cloud conversation right there saying, don't you want to be like company X over here? Bring my finger in. Company X over here. Because they're going so fast. They're so innovative. They're so cool. They're the one all the kids want to be like. And they're all in AWS, Azure, GCP, and they can go really, really fast. Okay, I'll be it. That is a great point. That really is. However, again, I cannot get around that gut feeling of, as a business person, single sourcing anything whatsoever can necessarily put me in a corner. So I want to have that ability to go to other providers if necessary, for whatever reason may be there. And it could be best of breed. It could be because I just, I need to avoid vendor lock-in. There actually could be a regulatory concern where, for example, AWS has regulatory compliance on in writing and another provider is not there yet. So you want to be able to move between these clouds. Yes, there's going to be a complexity. Absolutely, it's going to be there. But we as engineers, students, fanatics for all things tech, we can handle that. We can learn these things. We really can. Yeah. That makes sense. And I see what you're saying there. Um, I think the one where I got lost, I was reading questions and I got kind of confused. <laughs> um, going back to what I was saying about uh, one of the cons, I think potentially, right, is depending on the architecture that you're trying to, to wedge into this multi-cloud conversation. If you're doing yeah. things completely bleeding edge brand new, you're doing Kubernetes and you're containerizing all of your apps, mm -hmm. I mean, it's fairly easy to to do that on multiple, the, the struggle that I see, especially I've worked with so many windows enterprises over my career. I still know so many people and, um, <laughs> right. so much time in there. like taking a window and then like yeah. trying to replicate it exactly on Azure and AWS. A, there's a lot of differences, right. But when I containerize an app, it's just like, I could just mm -hmm. run it in almost, but you know, there's data challenges across clouds. Oh. And I think that like, I think that we're a little early on the whole conversation of, Hey, I'm going to take my app and I'm going to spread it across Azure and AWS. And if Azure fails, it's going to, you know, fail over seamlessly to AWS. Yeah. I just think that, I mean, I think we'll get there eventually. I think there will be tools and services that lay on top of this stuff that make it easier. Mm -hmm. But I, I think you're multi-cloud and that right is the only thing. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, you know, talking about what you're talking about, it, particularly with data, data is the one that freaks me out more than anything else, because what bites people about cloud is going to be 
the billing and they're not going to realize, okay, if I want to replicate my data set between Azure and AWS so that I can really, I mean, that's what it's about. It's about data, y'all. You've got to have your customers up to date. You've got to have their, you know, uh, orders up to date. You got to have all this stuff to up to date on both sides of the cloud, or you've got to make calls across cloud to get back to that data, that data that's sitting over and saying AWS uh, RDS or something like that. You will get charged for that. You will get charged for that right there. And so that's something you really need to consider and you really need to think about because you need to take in the totality of if we're multi-cloud, I've got to do the work twice. Everything yeah. has to be replicated. So if I'm running 100% to AWS, I've got to take the same update and push it over to Azure and I've got to keep it kind of going like that. It almost becomes, you know, if you do it like that, like the uh, cold standby. Where you could, yeah. or pardon me, the warm standby, where you could bring it up to full or hot, hot. But if you're going to do hot, hot, again, we got a money issue here. So you've got to find that place, man. That, that, that's the conversations I've had with people about multi cloud has been that. You've got to find that place where your RTO, your RPO, for those of you who are not familiar with RTO, RPO, it's this how much data can you lose? How long can you be down? Those are the questions. And if implicit in that is, what if this cloud provider goes down, then how much money can you spend is going to have to come up for you to meet your RTO, RPO requirements. Totally agree. That was a great, um, a great answer, Brooks. Really like that one. Got a couple of related questions I want to touch on. So one from, uh, from Larry, he says, from a learning perspective, how deep would you go in each cloud? And also how many cloud platforms, two or three. So <clears throat> I think we kind of talked about this before, but I also think this piggybacks well on what you were saying, Brooks. There's like so many hidden things if you're not oh, yeah. solid on just one cloud, like data transfer, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not understanding all of the, you know, kind of ways things work. And next thing you know, you're on Reddit talking about how you have a $20,000 <laughs> cloud bill, right? <laughs> um, so, 25,000, 250,000. Yeah, right? So like you definitely get good with one. How many, in my opinion, I would cross trade on one. So I would have like an anchor cloud where it's like, all right, right. I'm going to get good on AWS. I'm going to get good on Azure. And then mm -hmm. I would cross train just for my own awareness. And I would just map what I'm learning in, in one to the other. So for example, mm -hmm. Azure machines, I got really good at Azure Virtual Machines. Now, how do I apply all the things that I've learned over an AWS EC2? And how do I figure out like how they do that kind of stuff? That's what I think is cross-train yep. when you have time. And um, it, it just, I say this all the time, but it reminds me of like learning JavaScript and then now you go learn PHP and you're like, oh, I totally get this. Right, right, exactly. And I like, I like your scenario about, you know, do VMs here, do VMs here do uh, serverless compute here, do serverless compute here. That way you understand both of them. Um, Larry's question about how deep you would go, um, that's a tough one to answer because I don't really know how to give you like a, like a dimension into depth of complexity into any cloud provider whatsoever. I would say this, you know, there's the big areas, compute, storage, uh, networking, stuff like that. You definitely want to be strong in those areas. So look at the virtual machines. Look at how they host databases. Look at how they do their basic networking, um, things along those natures uh, of that nature. And security. Make sure you understand their security model and what they're doing. That would, to me, would be like a great starting place to go between two different cloud providers. And then you could always come back and start diving into things like 
you know, how do they handle messaging? What special services do they have for streaming? How do they handle IoT and stuff like that? Those are always really good things. But if you do like the compute storage networking uh, security, that would be a really good depth to start with. Yeah, and this is a good opportunity for me to plug in a, a commercial here if I if I can. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think, Larry, um, just so you know, the stuff that we're building on the cloud team, Brooks and I and Matt Davis and the other folks that are joining soon, um, you know, we have a big focus of helping you be proficient in a single vendor, but also all the way up to multi-cloud. So we're going to be creating content and scenario-driven labs where you're not just memorizing information, you're learning how to build projects. And, uh, you know, that's really what the industry is going to need is somebody that can jump in there, be good at one cloud, and then get into a scenario where it's like, hmm, how do I figure this out over in AWS or Azure, right? And we're going to help with that. That's this kind of stuff we're going to build. Um, you know, I, I think Brooks, you probably experienced this as a trainer in the past, you know, you can only take people so far where you're just like feeding them steps or like, you know, just raw facts at some point you got to cut them loose and let them build on these platforms, yes. right? You've got to, I mean, it, it, it really bothers me that at any time whatsoever, you can fill somebody's head with a bunch of facts or they can go do a certification that really is a trivia challenge. It's really what it is. It's just a trivia challenge. Hey, you need to do this thing like you need to run a, a a NoSQL database in azure which one do you pick uh, that's not quite good enough like you really need to think about it from a scenario based you need some hands-on skills with it you need to really dig in a little more than just learning a few facts about a, a, a provider that's not going to do you any good matter of fact that could actually make you you know almost dangerous to yourself versus if you go into a situation where you've been hired as a uh, engineer and they say to you something along the lines of, okay, replicate down, or pardon me, clone down this uh, Terraform template. We're gonna use this to build up a VPC so our engineers can experiment with something new. Go do that. That is going to blow up 90% of the people's minds that are new to cloud because they're gonna have no idea what to do. Uh, we're not gonna do that. That is not what this is about. This is about giving you the hands-on real world experience that you're gonna need to be able to walk into those places and be effective really be effective and set yourself apart in the marketplace as well. So true. That piggybacks on another question that was in there that I wanted to bring up from, uh, from Joe Zach. He said that the pace it with, oh wait, there's a different question of his. Wouldn't multi-cloud have a lot more overhead and learning curve um, than sticking to a single vendor? And I, I would agree mm -hmm. in the short term, but like your career is a long career and the industry is moving towards a situation where multiple clouds are going to always be in, in the conversation. So mm -hmm. what I think is that, yes, in the time being, learning, getting good with one cloud should be your focus, right? You should be yes. building that skill set on the first one. And then yes. you can start cross-training. And that's exactly kind of like what mm -hmm. we have planned on our team. But in general, anybody could do that, right? Like you get good yeah. with one. And then you yeah. graduate, right? You start moving your way up. You go from, you know, from an engineer to an architect to a DevOps engineer, maybe. Absolutely. If you want to that path, right? Yeah. So it's very incremental. Yeah, exactly. Joe Zach, that's that's exactly it. That's exactly like if you were if I was mentoring you, that's exactly what I would tell you. He's like, look, get good at one, but then move out. It's kind of like uh, you had an earlier question, Joe Zach, about like Oracle, IBM, and Alibaba. Will they ever get any recognition anytime soon? Um, if when you go multi-cloud, when you understand more than one particular 
cloud. You can be the, as you know, as Mike was saying, you're going to move from being like the help desk to being the engineer, to being the architect. It's when you step into that architect role and you've been building that multi-cloud skill set over a period of years that when you move into that, you can start saying the things that can really change for the better the way an, arc, uh, an organization is going by being able to say, hey, I think Oracle's got a really cool setup for this one particular thing. Maybe we should take a look at that. And again, if you you know, if you go through a five year career, Jozak, and all you did was just AWS, that's all you're going to do. I wouldn't want you to do that. Become a consumer of lots of different clouds, you know, two to three clouds. Know what they're doing. But again, start with the one. Get really good with one. That way you can go out and grab that career. You can jump into cloud engineering. You can start really getting that real world experience that you're going to need and then be able to talk about the other clouds as well can make a big difference to how an organization operates and a big positive difference to your career as well. Thanks, Brooks. I'm glad that you brought that up because <clears throat> so I saw that question go by earlier and I'm like, gosh, a great question. So that's really yeah. cool. There's so yeah. many other platforms out there in addition to this list too that I like as a yeah. individual. So if you're like working on your own, you know, like DigitalOcean and Linode mm -hmm. and there's so many. So yeah, I mean, it's like, there's going to be a place for those. It's going to happen. And I think it'll be interesting to watch as we go on in the industry. I think other vendors will start to pop up new mm -hmm. tools and services. I've seen some really cool stuff that's being built on these cloud platforms. So, um, you know, that's what a lot of times SaaS platforms are built on top of these um, other cloud platforms. You know, for example, Dropbox, right? When, yes. when we all know they were famously using Amazon for so long, right? So, right. Until yeah. they figured out a better way to do storage, which was absolutely amazing that they did that. It was like, wow, you came up with a better way to do storage? That's amazing. But um, the thing I like about your question, Joe Zach, about Oracle, IBM, Alibaba, it goes to the multi-cloud conversation. If you go and look at Oracle's, for example, I'm, I'm picking on Oracle here, but if you go to Oracle's documentation, you will see they flat out talk about their pin down points with Azure. Because they know that people want to use um, like uh, Microsoft's uh, Active Directory for their authentication authorization, but you're going to continue to use that Oracle database because that's what the program is used forever. There's a lot of, uh, particularly like in the U.S. government, they use Oracle databases for compliance reasons. So having again, this is getting back to the multi-cloud uh, scenario. You know, really knowing at Azure, for example, knowing it really well is great. And then once you've got that core knowledge, going ahead and picking up, say, you know, your knowledge on Oracle or something else, that's where these little things happen. will happen in your career, Joe, Zach, where you're like, hey, we need to start using Oracle. And you go like, yeah, I've, I've used OCI a couple of times. I, I get it on how to do it. What's your question? That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I totally agree. I was laughing there at the end because I saw a question come in from Casey Wood. What's up, Casey? Hey, Casey. Uh, he said, uh, do you think cloud providers will ever accept cryptocurrency as a payment for services? <laughs> Let's see. Let me check. Hang on. Let me check my crypto right now and see how it's doing. Oh, yeah. I know, <laughs> that's right? a great yeah. We're riding a wave over here on the crypto train. It's like <laughs> it's kind of an emotional ride if we're all honest. It is. But, um, do you I know? know. Uh, I was, okay, maybe. Right? I, I, think, I, I think, Casey... What I love about that question is this. Um, could I, okay, let, let's, I'm going to be very specific, and, and I'm going to go full confession here. I am a developer on the near network. I write Rust code. Ooh. Anyway, here's the thing about it, Casey. I, I can use that network as long as I've got some near tokens in my account. 
I can actually put a contract out there on the on the on the chain. Uh, I can interact with it and stuff like that. I really like the idea of some sort of denomination of cryptocurrency so that I could create some say executable type thing that could run in Lambda. And the way I will do it is not by signing up for an account with AWS and blah, 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 but I can simply via crypto execute that code on a blockchain-ish type thing that'll actually go to Lambda. That could be very interesting. So I could see that happening in the future. Now, you know, there's there's a huge conversation about what is Web3 gonna be. I'm sorry, everybody. I know we're going off the thing. We'll come back. Um, the Web3 being sort of like WebAssembly and your storage compute will be blockchain. Um, what I think is this, in the interim, just like a minute ago in 2007, eight and nine, when I wouldn't dare put my compute in the cloud, but S3 was kind of cool, and I end up being on-prem and in the cloud, hybrid, I could see this same thing happening with a Web 3.0, where I'm fronting a lot of stuff in cloud, but then my backside could be like blockchain uh, sort of things. And at that point, Casey, yeah, I think they might start accepting it, but please, this is, I'm no financial advisor. I can give you no financial advice. This is just yeah. blah. <laughs> yeah, and don't, get any, don't get any crazy ideas, everybody, about trying to mine crypto to pay for your cloud bill. That's probably not a good thing to get into. Don't um, do it. Don't do it. One Walk away. Question that I want to hit, and I want to get your final thoughts, Brooks, as we start to okay. wrap, wrap this up. So, okay, um, Larry. Larry was asking about um, one of these new certifications coming out that we're working on. So we have announced the ICCA, which is an associate level certification. Um, and then from there, we're going to be building all kinds of stuff. So it's a little bit early for us to start saying when that's coming out, but we've announced the ICCA that's going to have hands-on lab validation. That's an associate level, um, certification for anybody in the IT business. Okay. So we'll, we'll be, um, that's been announced. You can start going through the content right now. We're, um, building the certification where you'll actually take the exam and you'll go through some high level hands-on exercises. And then from there, Larry, to answer your question, you know, Brooks and I and everybody else, Matt, on the cloud team, we're building some insanely cool content mm -hmm. that are going to serve these certifications at different level, like engineer, eventually architect, DevOps engineer, and those kinds of things. So as you guys, and as everybody, I should say, is working to build <laughs> up their cloud skills and get, you know, certified, we're going to be building content that's going to take you to the next level on the way, right? So this is right. going to be something that we're doing together. And uh, I hope you guys are coming along for the ride with us. But um, on that note, Brooke, <laughs> any final thoughts as we start to wrap this one up? You know, I think I think the thing that for anybody else I would say is this, get hungry about learning and don't let it go. I am flipping 52 years old, y'all. I've been doing this since 1992 or three right after I got my degree in chemistry and realized I hate chemistry. And so I've been in this business. It's going to keep changing. But here's the interesting things. Interesting thing about it. The stuff keeps coming back. The same ideas keep coming back. If you get the foundational skills, the things that we're going to try to teach you via this IME certification, once you get those fundamentals, you will find yourself in a really interesting place where going forward, these skills just keep snowballing and snowballing and snowballing into greater capability. And we are going to try to keep this stuff as real world as possible, fun, interesting, different. So as you go into our training, if you start going, wow, this is strange. Yeah, there's a reason for it because that's what we need to really create great learning experiences for you. And we're, I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am, Mike, to be doing this. This is, this is going to be flipping cool. It's going to be insanely cool. Brooks Seahorn, everybody. Brooks, thanks so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it.
Hi, everybody. everybody. That takes us to the end of this INE Live episode. I feel like I've been monopolizing the show lately, so we'll have a new team on the show next week. But thanks for being here, as usual. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode.